Barton and Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton, a show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. This time around, I spoke to maths teacher and blogger Dan Draper about overlearning conceptual leaps and plenty more. And I'll tell you what, it is a cracker. But just before we dive into that, a quick word from our lovely sponsors. Cue the fancy music. <laughs> This episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast is proudly supported by Arc Maths. As I'm sure we know by now, that's Arc with a C. The Arc Maths app makes use of research into retrieval, testing, spacing, and interleaving to design a personalized practice program for each of your students that stops them forgetting the things they once knew. It strengthens their recall of core math skills and knowledge and keeps students systematically practicing previous topics so you can crack on with teaching new topics. There is no teaching element to ArcMaths. It's just designed to support the wonderful work you do in the classroom through regular recapping. On top of this, there is a brilliant handwriting recognition tool that can even cope with my dodgy scribbles and you can annotate pictures and write on the working out screen. Unsurprisingly, the ArcMaths app was shortlisted for the Educational App of the Year at the 2021 BET Awards. Teachers can have a go with the ArcMaths app for free if they get in contact and mention the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. Currently available for iPads, but phone and other tablet versions will be available from January. Exciting stuff. Just drop them an email, there's a link in the show notes, or contact them directly via the website, which is arceducation.co.uk. And one more time, that's arc with a C, not a K. Back to today's episode with Dan Draper. Now, I have been a huge fan of Dan's work for a few years now. Along with last episode's guest, Paul Rowlandson, Dan's blog is one of the few I have notifications on for posts because I find it absolutely essential reading. I love the way Dan reflects on his thinking from the ideas he tries out in the classroom, whether they work or not. The About section of the blog sums this up perfectly, and I quote... This blog is primarily a space to tease out ideas about education generally and secondary mathematics education specifically. By writing down my ideas, I find it easier to bring them into some kind of coherence in my mind. This blog is not meant to be informative and authoritative, but speculative. The conversations and debates started by posting ideas here has been immensely valuable to my growth as a classroom practitioner. So please get in touch if you disagree or if you've got something brilliant that gets to what I'm trying to articulate in my ham-fisted way. Brilliant, hey? So when planning the discussion, Dan and I decided to focus on two key areas of interest. That's overlearning and conceptual leaps. And then we chucked in a bit on curriculum sequencing at the end as a bit of a bonus. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learned loads. Dan is a brilliant guy to chat to. 
Two quick plugs before we plug on, <laughs> plug on, carry on. Uh, first, as I mentioned last time, I spent the summer updating the ultimate schema work on ED uh, or diagnostic questions. The current iteration, which is version 2.0, uh, to use the trendy notation, contains eight, over 800 quizzes and over 8,000 questions on the whole of year six to year 11, that's age 10 to 16, and uh, maths curriculum. And it's completely free. Um, I've put together a short course uh, explaining all about it, but I've also just this week released a monster spreadsheet. Ooh, there's some rows in this, I can tell you now, which links to all 800 quizzes. And this spreadsheet, you can either download it to use offline or you can link to the quizzes in your scheme of work or just use it in class or whatever you want. Um, I'll put a link to that and the course in the show notes. Uh, second, when we're talking about courses, I've also recorded a brand new CPD course that combines two of my favorite things, that's variation and self-explanation effect, to help supercharge worked examples, whatever your preferred style of delivery. Dead proud of this course. I think it's super practical and will hopefully allow you to immediately improve your worked examples in your very next lesson. Links to that course as well are in the show notes. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Dan Draper. Well, I say without further ado, I actually need to mention three very quick things. Number one, I'd advise having a pen and paper handy with you throughout this conversation as Dan throws out loads of examples that it's useful to work through whilst you listen. Second, all of these examples are in the show notes, so if you're worried about missing one, don't worry, just check out the show notes and you'll be fine. And third, and this is my favourite, at the end of the interview, Dan drops a bit of a bombshell about his views on understanding in maths. And I often get this after a guest says something, I often get a follow-up email with them panicking, thinking, oh God, what have I said here? Um, so Dan sent me a follow-up email to clarify his thoughts that I'll delve into in the takeaway section at the end of the conversation. <sighs> That's a good teaser, isn't it, hey? Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this one. I know you will. And as ever, I will see you on the other side. Okay, Dan, so we start the show as we always do with what is your favourite number and why? So it's, I know it sounds a bit pretentious, but it's going to have to be route two. Okay, go on. Right, but I've got my reasons. So I think it's because it's like, it seems really intuitive. It's like the ratio between sizes of paper, it's the diagonal of a unit square, but it's irrational. And like kids get used to sort of pi being irrational, but they see pi as this weird otherworldly thing because it's not a number. Whereas yes. root two, like I can prove that to kids. Um, and it's like, I don't know, it's a bit like, you know, um, you know, keep banging on about what's powerful knowledge. It's like, yeah, yes. but if you were a Pythagorean, this proof would get you killed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like the ring, but with fractions. I just it's just <laughs> everything about it. So I think it's got to be my favourite, and I do love a good third. Yeah. So yeah, route two. That's a good one. Yeah, top of the third. I like that one. Excellent choice. And um, what about your favourite topic in maths as a student, Dan? Right, I couldn't really decide on this, but what I've gone for is the one that sort of unlocked the most, and it's got to be equation of circles at A level, just because. Like, I know when you've got, like, y equals mx plus c, that's the sort of first time you really begin to make the link between algebra and geometry. But with equations of circles, you look at it and go, oh, you're Pythagoras. Why are you a circle? Pythagoras is triangles. Yes. And, like, actually, that's the bit. And then it's, well, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to sort this algebra out. We've got to complete the square. 
so I've got to complete a square to get a circle that looks like a triangle. <laughs> it just, like, it all ties together loads of dead, nice, meaty stuff. And I think that was the sort of first time, because I took maths A-level for fun. I wasn't really that mathsy. But that was the first time it really clicked. And I was like, oh, hang on, this is dead good. That's a great answer. I've never had that one before. That's lovely stuff, like Dan. And finally, what job would you like to do if you weren't a teacher? Well, it's... um kind of what I'm trying to do at the same time as teaching at the minute, to be honest, um, writing. Um, so like I do a bits and bobs already and sort of, yeah, I'm kind of trying to do a bit more of that. But also um, Catherine Menon, she's an author who had a piece in The Guardian in April this year. And basically it was all about how pure maths and writing come out of the same space. Ah. And like the structure of a mathematical argument is very similar to the way that you'd structure a piece of fiction. And I was like, oh, wow. oh good. Yeah, I feel justified now. Like, so, <laughs> so what, what kind of writing, then? So kind of just... Oh, really? That's great sales pitch, isn't it? So, no, like, <laughs> the stuff that I've sort of had published so far has been kind of, like, not science fiction fantasy in the sort of spaceship monsters but just right. that sort of thing of like more sort of folk tale fairy tale inspired stuff um but yeah it's the big one is just getting this novel finished i've got half of it done i know well this is the thing and then so i was on a course once and this woman was like she was an english teacher and she was like oh yeah i'm ready to go out on submission and i was like as soon as there was a break i nearly rugby tackled it and was like how are you doing this in teaching <laughs> and her answer was I work three days a week. Yes. Oh, great, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, yeah. that's very helpful. <laughs> but yeah, it's just chipping away at it. But yeah. And can people read any of your writing anywhere? I mean, this this could be, this is a big audience here, Dan, for you. Well, um, yeah, there's bits and bobs. It's, that's not, that's not me being dead helpful and prepared, look. Yeah, there's a, um, oh, I'll tell you what, there is a piece that's quite mathematically linked that's, um, it's on the Writing East Midlands website. Uh, can you send us? A, can you send us a yeah. link? And I'll put it in the show notes. Well, the me study going. www. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that at all, Dan. That's brilliant stuff. Oh well, I, well, if we don't uh, come back to writing later on, let me say no. I hope it all goes well. That sounds, oh, cracking, uh, that sounds brilliant. That's brilliant. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk career then, Dan. If that's all right, um, tell us where it all started for you and how you got to where you are today. So. Um, Trained in 2014 uh, at Nottingham Trent. Um, did a couple of years teaching down in London. Uh, moved back up to the East Midlands. Um, I mean, for money, really. And then sort of had a bit of a blip where I sort of bowed out for a while. Um, and then started working at school in Nottingham. Had a lovely TLR that was being the maths lead tutor for the Trust Skit, which was oh, dead nice. good. Um and then I came to my current job. So uh, there I was assistant curriculum director in charge of Key Stage 4 for two years. And then sort of post-COVID, I've sort of knocked that on the head and gone down to four days a week. Um, so, yeah, just kind of foot off the pedal a bit and just... I think it's the sustainability of a career. Like, mm. I, can't, I can't see myself going at that pace until I'm 70. No. And actually... I just want to have a couple of years enjoying the classroom. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of where I'm at at the moment. 
And did the break away from teaching, I mean, you often hear people who kind of take a break from teaching and never come back. Was the intention always just to have a couple of years and then come back into it? Or how did that pan out? When I say a break, it worked out being about 10 days. So I left the school, <laughs> then I got a job. I know, it's ridiculous. Isn't it? Well, I got a job tutoring based in school. And then once I started tutoring, a couple of months in, they were like, hang on, you're qualified. We have some year 11s. Right, yes. Oh, go on then. It all starts. We then, have yeah. some year 8s. Yeah, go on then. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just, to be honest, I think I was just done. But I think it is that thing of, the classic thing that you see of, I'd done two years and then mm-hmm. I'd moved to another school and it was my second year on a full timetable. So you're yes. talking 22 and a half a week. Yeah. Like, you don't know enough, not cut corners, but cut corners. You don't know enough to know what not to do. And I was just like, stuff this. It's not mm. like it's not gonna work. Um, but yeah, that sort of perspective and sort of being a tutor was like, yeah, but actually talking to kids about maths yes. is the thing. So yeah, it's making sure that's at the forefront of everything I do since coming back, really. Got it. Fantastic. Right. Well, let's uh, move to my favourite question. I always ask my guests, and that's a favourite failure. So is there any moment from your career that didn't go according to plan? And crucially, what did you learn from the experience? Well, I've picked some from last couple of weeks. Nice. I like it. Yeah. It's like I got dead smug. So I had set cover <laughs> for my year eight. And last year I was bubbled and I taught all of year seven. Right. So I know these kids inside and out mathematically. Mm. Um, I share them with another teacher. So I thought, well, I can't give them out no, can't like just consolidation, etc. And yeah. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to give them, we've done comparing fractions. I'll give them some midpoints of fractions because we've looked at midpoints on number lines. We've looked at like, yep. chucking midpoints in wherever, but we've not done it here yet. And I thought I was being dead clever. <laughs> so what I gave them was like three eighths and five ninths. And okay. then next to it, the answer's not four eight point fifths. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so like, ah, you're not going to get caught out with this misconception. <laughs> so I printed off 32 copies. If anyone okay. from school's listening, I'm dead sorry. I did recycle them. <laughs> but I had to bin them because I went through and started doing the solutions. And like, so three eighths and five ninths. Oh, I'm, like I'm just writing this down. I know, I'm yeah, like, I did write this down five, earlier. Yep. So when you sort of do it by comparing, you end up with like 27, 70 tooths, 40, yep. 70 tooths. So yep. 33.572, tooths, which yep. gives me 67 hundred and fourths. Yeah. And then yeah, I looked yeah. at it and went, oh God, you get that by finding common denominators, adding tops and adding bottoms. Ah, oh, wow. So I'd been dead like smug about I'm avoiding a misconception. Yes. And I thought, do you know if I hadn't done the answers? Yeah. I'd have just yeah. gave that to kids. Yes. So, like, I felt it were interesting, but also fuming out to rewrite on the cover. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was sort of a, oh, hang on, just be careful with what you're doing. And then the other, again, a similar thing, I was, like, drilling down with my 11s. So I've inherited this these top set year 11s. I've had two years of COVID. So we are kind of... I'm not being shirty with them. We're being very direct. We've got a lot to do. So we were talking about coefficients and what is a coefficient. And it's, you know, that thing of like, so 3P divided over seven. 
Yes, and three sevenths of well. p. Three p over seven and three sevenths of p. Yep. Seeing that they're the same coefficient. Yeah. And like yes. What I now reckon after looking at that sort of not in detail, just talking to kids and having them talk to me about it, is it comes from that same place of like, you know how kids don't see three-sevenths, they see it as three-sevenths of a whole, but yes. not what how, what you get when you take three things and take a seventh of all three things. Yes, yes. Um. So again, I was like, well, what's, let's do loads of these and just I just want what's the coefficient. And then I put up like three over 7p. 3 over 7p, yep. Ah, yes. And then I was like, oh, hang on. And because we'd done indices before, <laughs> yeah. they were like, oh, it's 7 thirds. Because 7 thirds, th and I was like, oh, no, no. Back up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, just making a meal out of something that should be quite simple that I've tried to do to depth. And actually all I've done is complicate it yes well there's a i want to unpick a couple of i think they're brilliant examples Let, let's just unpick a couple of things there dan so your first one this this comes up time and time again this this <laughs> the mistakes that we can make as teachers or the things we are we, we just don't pick up on if we don't do the working out and stuff mm -hmm. uh, stuff ourselves so that is a, i've never heard that example before and again the mathematician in me and i'm sure this is true if most listeners want to know if that's the only time that happens for those fractions and generalizing so on but that, that's beside the point because as you say you chose those examples hoping to avoid misconceptions and, and another one snuck in there um i i've spoke about this many times on the podcast anytime i um I'm a little bit careless with an example, things like this come into play. Or if I ever use uh, like Jamie Frost's PowerPoints, I'll just say, they look good questions, bang them up. And then there's some flipping extreme maths Olympiad example on there, which my you know bottom set sevens are having a nightmare with and stuff. So yeah, teachers working through the questions themselves is an absolute uh, key lesson, I think, for everybody. But you say, your second example has, has fascinated me here because... This is something I'm really interested in, um, kind of definitions of, of concepts. And as you say, going deep into things to make sure students really, really learn it. And I think I've kind of swung both ways over my career with this. If we take coefficients, I think it's a really good example. Um, in the early days of teaching, I would have just said, right, coefficients, the number in front of the variable or whatever, and then we'll just crack on. And to be honest with you, that tends to be okay for, for, for most circumstances, because in GCSE, they're not going to chuck these really weird things at you and, and so on. So you're probably going to be fine. You may then come unstuck a little bit when you get to, to, to A level, maybe. And as you say, particularly with indices, it, it starts messing things up. But then over the last few years, I... I think I've gone down a similar route to you in the sense that I really want kids to really, really understand things deep. So I do a lot of examples and non-examples and make sure my examples are related to my non-examples. So just change one thing. Is this still the coefficient? Is it still the same? And so on. But as you say, the more I do that, the less I understand because it gets flipping difficult and you yeah. get these edge cases, right? And you think, well, what the hell is the coefficient there? So I'm looking at your three over seven P that I've written down here. And I'm thinking, I don't, I genuinely don't know what the coefficient there is. I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, where's that P going? 
is it three? I, I just don't know what's going on. So it's interesting, isn't it? There's, and I don't know whether I just wish my life, I just can revert back to my simple life. Where I didn't, well, I was just not really thinking too much about things because now I don't know whether I'm causing more trouble than, uh, than, than good. Anyway, that's just a ramble. What, what no, do you think? absolutely. It is that thing in terms of like, oh, we can look at more subtle and more nuanced, but like, <laughs> You know, you sort of, you know, sometimes you sit down and you go, right, I'm planning this and I want to do it to depth. And you're like, all right, well, that's all of year eight then. (laughs) (laughs) If I can teach till you're 45, we're on to a winner. But it's, (laughs) and like, and then you start thinking and it's like, I can hear the words coming out of my mouth to kids where I'm going, yeah, I reckon this is a bit of a weird one because... The multiplication's commutative, but division's not, and that's on the divisor. Yes. And it's and I can just hear me voice like that internal voice going, "Just shut up, no one cares." Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> just kids then giving you like that blank stare of like, "We're very patient with you. We'll wait for you to finish." But then can we do some maths, please? So, what where have you got to, Dan? If we take coefficients, I think it's an interesting one. Well, like having experience, kind of perhaps both things where you haven't gone deep enough and then perhaps here you've maybe gone too deep. I don't know. Where do you stand on it now? If you were to, if you had a new group in front of you and you wanted to teach them about coefficients, where do you draw the line? It's a tricky one it, because I think to a certain extent, I would go, look at this weird thing. I don't know. It's a bit vague. Yeah. yeah. Because, I don't know, I'm always conflicted because sometimes actually... You always get this when kids get to A-level or even harder stuff that you're looking at or more conceptual stuff in Key Stage 3, where, you know, perfect example of like X squared equals 16, where X could be two things. Mm. And I think there's that cultural message that, well, maths is a right or wrong answer. Ah, can mm. I have two answers? Mm. And actually going, I don't know. What do you reckon? It's... Yeah. Yeah, it's that subtlety, but also being very selective when I'm doing that. Um, yes. Yeah, it's... I know that's like a non... It was. I had a job interview back of last year and some of my feedback was like, you didn't come down very hard on like setting versus mixed attainment. Yeah. And then without thinking, I went, oh, it's because I don't care. <laughs> Which like sounds really bad in an interview situation. But I'm at, it's so murky. Yeah, yeah. It's no to do with me. Yes. To a certain extent. And I think yeah, sometimes yeah. it's that difference in it between what's good, sort of what's best practice while I'm sat at my desk thinking and what's best practice when I've got 30 kids in front of me. Yes. They're not the same. And, yeah. you know, I'm all right with that. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan, let's move on to the the kind of big things we want to talk about today. So a bit, bit of background for the listeners here. Dan, Dan's one of my favourite bloggers, and I know he's also one of Joe Morgan's favourite bloggers. And she was dead excited when I messaged her to say that uh, that Dan was coming on the show. But the problem is, when you get like someone like yourself, when you start reading your blog posts... It was similar when I um, interviewed Michael Pershion from the US. There's just so many ideas in your blog post that you think, how the hell do we condense this down into you know a couple of hours interview? So you were very kind that I, I essentially sent you a message saying, what do you want to talk about? And you've come up with definitely two ideas that we're going to touch upon them, and one if, if time permits later on. So, so the first one is overlearning. Um, and this isn't something we've really really covered in depth on the show. So this, this, this will be a good one. This. So let me start with the obvious question, Dan. What do you mean by overlearning? I think pushing something beyond reasonable capacity to a certain extent of like, 
I'm sure there are sort of official research-based definitions and stuff, but massive caveat, Otam saying over this two hours is just someone with less than 10 years' experience mm. and, like, what they've noticed. Like, it's no position of authority. I've got no training. Like, it's just <laughs> what I reckon. But it's that thing of, like, that idea that if you overlearn something, you can pull it back and that becomes easier. Uh, right. So, like, if kids can multiply by decimals, then they can multiply integers easier. Like, they've overlearned yes. what they need to. But actually, I see, because so I'm really sorry no, no, to interrupt yeah, you, Dan. So, so just on this, it's interesting because you get this, um, you get these these phrases and terminologies that mean different things to different people. So when, when I when I saw you messaged over, you'd sent me over learning. I was thinking back to when I did research for my first book, and over learning, it, it's this thing that that Doug Lamov often says, and it's it's not practice till you can get it right. It's practice till you can't get something wrong. And I thought, oh, is Dan talking about? almost like the drilling stuff that, that Danny Quinn and will, will speak about. But then I started reading your examples and, and it's not that. As you say, it's, and I don't know if deeper is the right phrase, but it's certainly going above and beyond what perhaps I as a teacher would do. And I think your, your um, example there about not just multiplying integers, using long multiplication, but doing decimals, fractions, and so on, that that seems to me a really good example of the kind of thing you're talking about. Is, is, is that right? Yeah, that was the nicest way anyone's told me I were wrong. <laughs> no, I, no, I know what you mean. But no, it is that thing of just like, but almost like that example I gave almost as a counter example. Like I don't mean sort of teaching calculus to year seven because then they'll yes. be able to add. Like it's not doing yes. harder maths. But also that thing of like testing a concept. So... Um, again, one of the examples that I sort of sent through with like using a grid and like, let's use a grid when we don't use a grid. Talk us through, what do you mean by use a grid then? So that sort of area model for multiplication using yep. a grid of like, I did a lot of work last year of actually, it's that, you know, the sort of move from concrete to pictorial to abstract. Yep. It's not a stepwise movement. It should be a lovely slope. And like, actually, what I found was that I was going, oh, look, here's an area. Right, do 30 grid questions now then. Yes. And there was no progression from that concrete idea to the pictorial. And actually, with the grid, the thing that I actually wanted kids thinking about wasn't multiplication or area at all. It was partitioning. Mm -hmm. So if you were doing... 14 times 63. Yes. Like, I'd set my grid up 60, 3, 10, and 4. Yep. There's no stopping me doing 53, 7, and 3. There's yes. nothing stopping me yes. doing 2, 10, and 2. Mm. It's just not very useful to me. Yes. So, actually, once I'd set up these areas and, you know, sort of had thicker lines dividing them up into where I'm going to do my division... Right, I'll shove that over here. What's going on now? How have I partitioned this? Is it useful? Is it not? 
and just, action. Let's give, just sorry, just and give what? me a couple more examples of that, just so I can get my head around. Just get get my head around this because I, I missed something there. So if I start with this, I've got fourteen multiplied by sixty three as kind of our our key example that we might be looking at. And your classic grid would have your ten, your four, your sixteen, your three, as you say. So what, what where would you be going next with that? So actually, you could have a instead of a two by two grid, a four by two grid. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what about if I add twelve? A three, I could have, oh, I've got to do some adding now, brilliant, <laughs> uh, 40. And then going down, I could have seven and seven. Ah, right. Okay, so different ways of partitioning each number. Yeah. Ah, okay, so so the examples are correct. It's not like you're doing non-examples or anything. These are, no. the, these grids would work. They get the right answer. It's just not an efficient or useful way of doing it. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's the sort of I the way see. that I phrase them with kids are like, they're called and what examples. All right. So it's a bit like, well, and what? Like, uh, so? Yes, it's going to work, but I don't care because right, it's too much okay. work. Right. Um, I see. I see. So you've shown them, you've shown them the, the inverted commas kind of correct or, or most useful way first, have you? And then you're introducing these as alternatives. Is that the kind of way you'd structure it? Uh, yeah. And then sort of give them a load of stuff, yeah. um, a load of grids that are partitioned. And say, yeah. well, what was the original multiplication? Ah, nice, yep. Um, and then, well, how would I partition that sensibly? Yes, okay, okay. So you've given them grids where they're not done sensibly. What was the original? And then yeah. how would and, you do it? Ah, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. Okay. And it is just that idea of, like, focusing in on, like, you will think about what I want you to think about. Yes. So it's... And also being really explicit with the kids of like, I'm not actually asking you to do any maths. And like, I realised I've done this a lot last year and hadn't before because I'd got my 11s this year and I was doing that classic thing where you know where you're in the habit of doing something but your kids aren't? Mm. And they look at you like you've got three heads. Right. And it, like, so the example I gave them, because I'd had year eight the lesson before and had a lovely yep. question, so I thought, oh, year 11 will like this, and they ate right. it. So 45, 46. 45, 46, yeah. Multiplied by nine. Okay, yep, yep. So Oof. my eights sort of were like, oh, hang on a minute. So nine take away nine, 46. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oof. Yep. So like, Oh, 8 and 37, 46. And because, like, I taught them before, they were quite versed in the language of, like, I'm being efficient, not cheating. I'm being efficient. Yes. yes. And, like, but whereas year 11 were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, they were like, can we just give us five minutes to take us bags off? So it's... And it was interesting how difficult they found it for me to explain it to them. Hmm. And it's... Mm. And again, it's that thing as well. Like I hadn't prepared an explanation because I just made the assumption they're better at maths than my year eights. They'll be fine. Yes. And in the end, I had to be like, well, I'll tell you what, what if I rewrote 45, 46 as one subtract one forty six, Yeah. And then expand it as a bracket with a nine. And I was just like, yes. oh, for God's sake. This is... Yeah. But like they got there, but it was like... It's, I don't know where that thinking and that reasoning, you can't put that in a schema learning document. No. 
But so where did it come? Where did it come with your eights? What what were they doing for you to to ask them that question? My professional answer is I was trying to stretch and challenge their deep understanding of a concept. The reality was we got five minutes left and I weren't moving on to something new. Yeah. So I just chucked a load of things up that I thought looked gross for the, the meaty to crack on with. And then I took three steps back and looked at it and went, oh, that's how I do it when I do the answers. Oh, so, all right. So a couple of questions here. When you say you had a few kind of five minutes left, was this in the unit of work where you're doing the multiplication? Is this following on from the 14 multiplied by 63 or is this a different kind of, is this a different topic? No, this is, so they're looking at fractions. The eights yep. are, it's the first time they've done any fractions. Yep. And they've done simplifying. They've done, um, I've literally just taught it. Why am I forgetting? They've done bits and bobs. They haven't done any adding and yep. subtracting or anything yet. But because yeah. they're a shared class, I didn't want to like start the adding and subtracting. Um, and because we also teach computer science within math, they'd had a week of computer science and then like yes. one lesson with me. And yeah. like, so it was just a bit of a faffy lesson. So I said, I'll do some general fraction revision. And then I thought, hang on a minute. Well, actually, they've got, they've done multiplication. And as long as we're multiplying integers and fractions, yeah. It should be all right because it's just like a unit. So almost like get rid of that fraction as a thing. Yes. So we did adding, subtracting and multiplying and very carefully chosen examples of dividing between integers and fractions for that yes. lesson. Because um, also that is where, so that 63 and 14 example. Yeah. I also gave them 63 and two thirds multiplied by 14. Ah, uh, nice. Okay, yes. So, and it was just whack it in a grid, like 10 times two thirds is 20 thirds, four times two thirds, well, it's eight thirds. Yes. And actually they got loads of lovely, like mixed number conversions when they added to, added at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, so it's that kind of, oh, hang on. Yeah. Well, I would never use a grid for that, but it is loads more, makes so much more sense. This isn't right. Okay, a few questions here, Dan. This is this is absolutely fascinating. This. So, if we just circle back just briefly to what you were talking about about the, if I just stick with fourteen multiplied yeah. by sixty three, I really like this idea of here's the kind of typical way that I mean, I'll tell you how my lesson will progress with that. Fourteen multiplied by sixty three. For a start, they'd all have done grid stuff in primary school, or they just need a little refresher, and then straight away we'd just be banging 40, 14 as ten and four. 60 is 6 in 3, and then multiply them together, and then let's do a load more of those till we're fluent and confident, chuck a few three-digit ones in or whatever, and we'll just crack on with something else. But what I really like about your example is, if we contrast it with what I'm doing, all of a sudden, with mine, very little thought goes on the grid itself. All the thought is just kind of times table practice and a bit of kind of place value practice of multiplying, you know, 60 by 4 and whatever. Whereas what you've done there particularly and I absolutely love when you said you would give them a kind of inefficient grid they have to work out what the sum was and then do it the efficient way your their focus of attention is going on the partitioning you've managed to come up with a way of getting them to think hard about the grid as opposed to solely thinking hard about the the, the multiplications and that that's lovely that because then what that allows you to do as you've said then is this grid then becomes something they deeply understand how to partition and set it up. So then when you chuck a decimal in there or a fraction in there, they 
they're much more fluent and comfortable with the grid and the partitioning that then they've got enough attention to put on the fraction operations and the decimal operations. I, I don't know if I've summed it up how you think about it there, but that, that seems to me a really strong yeah, way of approaching that. Yeah, yeah. And like I think what I found as well is like, if I ask them to do 14 times 63 and they do it that way, and then I go, right, 14 times 603, you don't need to change your grid that much. Yeah, like, yes. And they're going, well, it's three digit by two digit, so it's three boxes by two. No, it's not. Like, yeah. just use your brain. Part of it is nice. also quite selfish on my part because the amount of times you will get kids go, well, I'm doing it in a column because I like it in a column. Yeah, I'll mm. get everything wrong, but I like a column. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually setting up this thing of, well, that's, we're not looking at multiplication, are we? We're looking at these properties. Yes. And it's that thing of actually being able to go, okay, not a sense of evaluation of methods, but that sense of what do you gain, what do you lose? So mm. that then when we get into year 10 and it's like, I don't want to use a grid to expand brackets. Yeah. Well, we've already built up this language of we're being efficient though, so wind your neck yeah. in. Like <laughs> even my top set year 11, sort of they were factorising this best word now I've said, something like 3B <laughs> squared, subtract AB, yeah. subtract 2A, 2A squared. Okay, yeah, oh wow, yep. And like, chuck it in a grid, and it's dead easy, mm. but you ain't reasoning about factors with that. Yeah. Because it's variables. Yes. So, it's, yeah, it's sort of, I think that's what I mean Long story short, about that overlearning of just like, well, yeah, do it, but why? What am I actually getting at? Yes. Well, right. Two more questions on this, because I know we've we've looked with a few more examples of overlearning that you sent through I want to dive into. Um, I've got an annoying question, but I'm going to save that for a second. I'm going to ask you this. You've, you fascinate me with this. Um, 40, 45, 45. Jeez, 45, 46 multiplied by nine. Did you just come up with that top of your head? Was that, was, because that's a lovely question, right? Did, did you have that up your sleeve that you were always going to ask that? Or was that just one of those examples you banged on the board and it turned out there was nice a nice way to do it? It was accidental. It's, I think in my head, I just whacked up. A, sometimes if I am making up questions as I go, it's, thinking about it's almost like I'm thinking about the variation as I go mm. and actually what I was thinking of is summit that's about one times summit by about 10 yes okay yes yes and like I say it weren't until I was then circulating and looked back and went hey you're gonna have to do those yourself in a minute and looked <laughs> and then went oh actually I can do that <laughs> like yeah um yeah it's I'm not advocating for making questions up as you go. I do find I do it a lot, though. Um, yes. I think partly because it's very intellectually satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've got a problem. Like, you know how sometimes teacher feedback is like, in your lessons, make sure you circulate so you know what everyone's doing. Mm. Not like, oh, I'm so good at that, I need to stop. But my problem is almost the other way of like, Kids going, leave me alone. Stop asking me what I'm thinking and let me right, write okay, it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because a kid will pause for a second and it's like that whole thing of like not giving kids thinking time. 
and like verbally not giving them thinking time. But I'm not doing that when they're writing either. I'm just mm. swarming and bothering. Yeah. So yeah. it's a bit like just shut up, let me get my head around it myself. But yes. obviously they don't say that because our kids are quite polite. But you can tell that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So actually I'll go, well, I'll look from afar then and just think about, well, hang on, what questions could I give you that will poke a hole in this? Yes, that's right. Before I ask my annoying question, you've just sparked another thing there. Um, Colin Foster talks about this, that, um, again, when, when you teachers circulate in the room, and I think you've drawn a really nice distinction there, it's, it's quite obvious to teachers that if they're constantly asking kids questions, it's potentially breaking up their flow of thought and so on. But as you say as well, if you're constantly walking around the room, kids know you're there. And if you're looking over them, like, again, whether you phrase this as working memory starts being taken up, thinking about, the, you know, why, why is the teacher there and so on, or whether it's just distraction or whatever, it can certainly break their flow. And, you know, and some kids don't then want to write down an answer for fear of it being wrong and the teacher seeing and so on. It's, it's a big thing, isn't it? There's a it's a fine, it's, it's a real balancing act between making sure you get a sense of your class's understanding and also getting the relationships with the kids versus, as you say, just letting them crack on with it themselves and, and yeah, being kind of uninhibited. It's, yeah, it's a tricky one. But anyway. Do you know what? The, I just thought as well, sorry to interrupt. Not no, please do, please. <laughs> like, it's the same, I think there's a correlation with that. And you know, when you're talking about like running a room and behavior management, rather yeah. than me going underlying date and title, and I'm going to stand over you till you do it. Yeah. We all know best practices, right? I'm going for a trot around room. When I come back, you're having your date and title underlined. All right. Yes, bye. yes, yes. And like, that's the same, isn't it? It's, and actually almost that like empowering students to go, look, you, if you need like that, are you going to hide and not seek help? Yeah. Or am I like kicking in door being like, tell me everything that's in your head. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah balanced yes interesting interesting now the annoying question i was going to ask you and i could ask this at any stage during uh, the kind of overlearning discussion is a question that i often get asked when i talk about kind of going deeper and so on and that's simply like how on earth do you have the time how on earth do you have the time in schemes of work or in curriculum or whatever it is to do do things like that where, where let's say your scheme of work is about multiplying or whatever using grid method or whatever it is how how do you have the time to to, to go into that depth Dan? to be honest i think it's how you spend your time which makes no sense i think what i mean is is like not having so if i'm following a scheme of learning that says like i know on the rough overview scheme of learning i've got for one of my classes it says completing the square. Now, when I look at completing the square, the time I allocate in my brain is not the time that's allocated on that spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'm pretty pragmatic in... I will do less to depth where possible. And it's... I, do, I just take longer over things... And normally stats ends up being the casualty, <laughs> like because it's because it's so different to the rest of maths. Mm. It, I haven't quite got my head around depth in the same way for stats. Ah, yet. that's interesting. Yes, yes. And when you say stats, we're not talking because like things like kind of mean from a list of data. You can go a bit deeper. Yeah. Are you talking kind of your statistical diagrams that are almost kind of standalone stuff? Yeah, and like I wrote some 
lovely questions on pictograms that really pushed it. But then I was like, yeah. you're not though, have you? You've written proportional reasoning questions. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and also it's, it's interesting. So let me give you an example of like, oh, hang on, this is plot spoilers. This is actually some of the second thing we're talking about. So I had a year seven nurture group last year and yeah. I love teaching year seven nurture group. They're just, it's so challenging to your subject knowledge. Mm. It's like, break it down again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like we'd got yeah. uh, like there was this section of a scheme of learning. I might le- I've become allergic to using the word lessons. I ate it. And like there's just a section that was on um not mean but median and range and mode. And I went, no, not doing it. We've got these kids for half a decade. We're doing median and we're doing it right. Okay. And okay, actually yeah. It's the metaphor that I used with them was like, have you ever played past the parcel? So you got past the parcel and you unwrap the paper and they were like, you win a prize. And I was like, oh, we never won a prize. You just <laughs> didn't get the prize. Like, yeah, yeah, how money yeah. do you? So then it's like, then you pass it around again, you unwrap the paper. You pass it around again, you unwrap. And by the time you get to the bottom, you get the prize. Our prize is yeah. understanding the median. Nice. So actually we're starting off from, it's not the median, what we're doing but we're going to get closer and closer and closer and closer. Mm, and it, nice. the tasks were ridiculous, but it was like, um, find the median of these three numbers. They're all integers. They're all in order. Okay. And that was a task. They're not understanding yep, yep. the median. I know because leave me alone. We're on the outer layer. Next layer, there's three numbers, but they're not in order. Find the median, right? There's three numbers. They're not in order. Now you've got negatives. Mm, there's three numbers. Yep. And it's like, it ended up being about sort of, over 10 tasks. Yes. And it meant the pace of lesson was a bit breakneck. Mm. So it was like, this is different, you do it. This is different, you do it. And then every now and then, and this is where, like, again, writing questions as you go becomes really helpful because as soon as they were starting to get a bit dodgy with it, I'd go back a step and mix them all up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, then we ended up with five. Then we ended up with five numbers but you've got repeats of numbers mm. and it's that steady build but because you're building steady you're tazzing through it yes and it's yeah i think essentially it must make me a right pain to line manage but <laughs> it, what the kids need the kids need everything mm. else can get stuffed mm. like which, you know, I think sometimes sometimes you have to go, I'm really not happy with how little you understand of this. Never mind, off we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and we all do that anyway. You know, how many people in year 11 go, oh, you don't quite understand loci and constructions. Let's do it properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you go, sod it, it's three marks. Yes, yes. And it's, I know that's not right, but also I'd love to work in these perfect schools. Yeah, interesting. Just, um, again, just a practical question, Dan, because I, I, listeners always really like the kind of ins and outs of this. When you're doing that, let's take the median example there with your nurture year sevens and you've got all these questions. Is this kind of you firing out to the whole class and them on mini whiteboards or is it, what, what's the practicalities of how that works and how, how would that be the same or different if you had a, a, a larger class of students? Again, that non-committal answer. It depends. I think, yeah, yeah, so yeah. with that class, it was 
almost that thing of there's 20 questions on here and it's time based and I'm going to flip around. Um, okay, yeah. I've always had mini whiteboards out on desks yep. because I just can't not. Um, so I'm like, mini whiteboards on desk. I've got machine textbooks in my hand as I go so I can just jot down really meaty questions. Whereas yeah. then like with that nurture group, because their retrieval is very weak compared to other kids, actually, sometimes it is a case of, we're going to wait for everybody else to finish, but why don't you have a look at this that we mm. didn't get to last time? Mm. And we at our school, we use booklets, and I'm a booger for not really using the booklets. <laughs> but it means that kids have got a booklet full of stuff they can do. Ah, right, okay, yes. So I'll have something on the board and then it'll just be like, right, booklet, yeah, you do that. Because that's that's a bit difficult, more difficult from what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. See how you get on. And just, yeah, but then like with other classes, sometimes it's, um, again, like, so for example, my top set year 11, there's 30 kids in there. What we tend to do is, at school I worked in in Bilbra in Nottingham, we sort of almost developed a house style that revolved around splitting your whiteboard into four and you have four questions that progress and then you take a temperature check. Okay, and yes, then nice, nice. It wasn't so much you move on or don't, but you almost shunt your questions up. Yes. Um. So I still kind of use that a lot. And it is that thing of sometimes like open your booklet, first four questions do on your board and then you can start from question five in your book when I say. Right, okay. Um, just so I can see that they're all okay. Yes. Um, and it's, and again, like I said to my year 11s as well, I says, look, you may be under the impression that I don't plan from the way I crack on during a lesson, <laughs> but it's because I'm trying to react to what you're telling me. Mm. So sometimes mm. when I'm going, just put that down a minute, give that a go, just give me a minute to sort you something out. Yeah. And like, actually saying to them, look, if I think you're getting something wrong, I will give you something that forces you to practice that. It's like, dead yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and it's that cultural thing as well, isn't it? Like, if you come to my lesson, I gave them a mini assessment and said, if any of you get 30 out of 30, I will be fuming. I've not done my job properly because I've got nowhere yeah. to tell you to go. Yeah. And I was very lucky no one got 30 because <laughs> it was very hard. But it's that thing of just like, Trying to be adaptive, but not reactive. Yes. I see. Fantastic. Well, c can we do a few more examples of, of overlearning, Dan? Will that be okay? Yeah, Just yeah, so yeah. the listeners really get a sense. So we've... I'm, I'm really, really enjoyed, as I said, that multiplication grid. I really like that. I like, and I like the how it progresses then to the fractions and integers and so on. And I can see, obviously, decimals sneaking away in there. And tell me some other examples, if that's okay. So uh, the other ones that I sort of sent through were... Um, Again, one of my sharpest specials. So I just sort of drew a load of triangles and then ask kids to draw on a perpendicular height. Nice. Um, and actually, sort of, I did this with parallelograms as well and drew loads of parallelograms and gave one line with arrows on and asked them, sketch the perpendicular height to that side. Nice. nice. And it's because that spatial reasoning aspect. Is like we. I never really correctly estimate how difficult it is until you start looking at transformations, and you're like, "Oh no, the whole plane's moving." 
what? Yeah. But actually, it's like, well, what's the height of this triangle? Well, there's three heights. Sorry. Yes, yes. And it's and then when you start looking at general triangles and trig and stuff, and it's yeah, you know, when like when you start looking at trig and kids get really confused because they've got all three angles. And it's that information overload. And even that thing of giving them things like you've got all this information on a parallelogram, cross out what you don't need. Yeah, that's nice. Yes. Yes. And just sort of simplifying it. Um, and then another example was the sort of a load of right angle triangles. Well, what can you do Pythagoras on? What can't you? Hmm. And what was really nice as well is I sort of so a kid's written communication of maths is really difficult. And I don't really, I realized a couple of years ago, I'm not teaching it explicitly. And like, again, Back to me, year 11s, because I had year seven all last year, so I'm only just teaching some algebra for the first time in ages. And we're doing yeah. cert, like roots and stuff. And then we went on to thirds, and loads of them were writing sort of three root two, looking like the cube root of two. All right, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've, I've not been clear enough. Sorry. And like, so this animated GIF says 32, and then the two, when you click the animation, shrinks in size until it gets dead small, and then it goes yeah. on top of the three. Okay, yeah. So just yeah. putting that on screen and going, right, year seven, clap when that says three squared. Ah, that's nice. And they all clap at different times. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, no, I, it's this. And then exercise book under the visualizer, like, in your book, it's going to look like this. Yeah. If you write this, I'll think it's 32. And it's... This is fascinating. It's like you know, assume nothing about prior knowledge, but like assume nothing at all. But then like you say, you've got to make some assumptions somewhere or you'd never start. This, can you just talk, before I ask you a few kind of big questions on this, will you just talk through your bearings example, Dan? And what I'll do, if it's okay Ooh, yeah. with you, certainly the bearings, because you sent me this through a while ago for my variation theory site, but these other examples, if it's okay with you, Dan, that you've sent through, I'll include these in the show notes so listeners have a chance to refer to them if, if that's okay. Um, but yeah, your bearings one, if you just describe this and, and why you came up with and what it is, because I've used this both with kids, but also with, with, with teachers as a way of thinking about bearings that I never would have done uh, before. So I've, I've kind of built this up. It could be an anti-climax <laughs> now, but yeah, if you just describe this one, if that's all right. So it's uh, 12 questions. Um, there's angles and bearings, but there's also compass directions. Yeah. Um, and it's, so question one is sort of your typical North line A to B, uh, 52 degrees. The second question is the same, but that line A to B is massive. Yeah, yeah. which is brilliant, which is brilliant. And it's just that thing of like, I remember, because I did, I don't have a maths degree. So before I started training, I did the old maths enhancement course. All right, yes. And yeah. it was six months, full time, got paid to do maths. It was lovely. And... <laughs> um. Our, one of our tutors on there was like, well, what is an angle? And every single person went, I don't know. And like, actually, that focus on what is a turn, like, if there's even a hint of hesitation when I am getting out of kids' way and just eyeballing them, mm. if there's hesitation between one and two, I'm like, you haven't got that this is a turn. Yes. Um, and then three is the exact same as one, but A and B are switched. Mm. 
Um, again, four is the 52 degrees is actually from about southwest 52 degrees to west. Yes. Um, and it's so I um, spoke at Teach Me Maths Icons a while ago and um, it was before COVID and I did a lot on bearings there. And actually, just like bearings are easy. Right. If I move that north line, though, you're stuck. Yeah. That was the thing that when I looked at, because when you sent them through to me many months ago now, maybe even a year ago, I was like, okay, I was looking at the first three or four. I think, oh, this is nice. This is nice. And then whenever that north line shifted, I was like, what the hell's going on here? So I'd never, never thought to do that. Never thought to do that. But again, it reminds me of what you're saying about the grid um, stuff. It, it, it focuses kids' attention on the right thing. It's your, there's a real danger certainly the way I've done bearings, that I start off really easy, then all of a sudden the, the shift comes to parallel uh, parallel angles on parallel lines, and that becomes the focus. Can, can you remember your corresponding angles? And then as long as you remember that, you know, which way to measure your bearing, you're going to be fine. Whereas this sequence of questions, the focus is purely on the bearings. It's do you understand where you're measuring from, what you need to look at, and so on. There's no tricky calculations in there, but it's a really hard set of set of questions. Yeah, and I think it's that thing in it of like basic map reading. No, you ain't always facing north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's that thing of like we we tend to. It's basically that things that you use to scaffold understanding for weaker pupils. Mm. It's the exact same process for higher pupils. So like yes. the amount of times if there's a triangle that is not uh, parallel to like the bottom of a page. Yep. Kids will go, it's not a triangle. Yes. And it's the, and like, so you just say to kids, no, turn your page, it can be whatever you want. And it's not like, it's not a trick, this like, so like number nine on this bearings task, uh, N is facing left, the north line, and then there's B and A with a 52 angle degree there. And it's, it's not trying to catch kids out mm. because it's like, the hint to help them is turn your page round. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not asking you to find rocket science out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and I find a lot of kids who typically can look at maths and intuit it and do things by inspection or feel like that's beneath them sometimes. Yes, yes. So it's a way of going, I'm, we're going to stretch your thinking, also get back in your box, also <laughs> let's prepare you for A-level. Because that's a that jump from A level is conceptually massive. Yes, this is this is interesting. So I don't know how best to phrase this. Time this will just be a ramble. So just cut me off if this makes no sense whatsoever. But I think one big improvement I made to my planning, and it took me a long time to to get good at this, was to before I start teaching a new idea, just make sure all the prerequisites that kids need are, are really secure and the kids are fluent and confident. But what you're describing here, this this isn't prerequisites, is it? This isn't like this bearing stuff. This this is this is going deeper on the new idea, and it almost feels to me like if you're teaching this unit of bearings, of course you're going to do your prerequisites, make sure kids, you know, maybe can use the protractor or whatever they need to do. But this almost feels like a bit of an intermediate step before then they go on and do the so-called kind of traditional bearings questions, where you know angles in parallel lines, exam questions, and so on. It's it's, and I don't know whether it's kind of 
whether it just overlearning is the right label for it or whether it's decision making or whether it even needs a label. But do you agree that it's it's certainly not prerequisites? It's certainly not your kind of kind of altogether practice. It's it's like you're picking a certain aspect of this new idea and just going really deep in it. And is is the purpose there so that when it all comes together, all those little bits of the new idea that, that kids are much more confident with it all and comfortable, or, or is, is there something else going on here? I think it's just that trying to be really precise about what are we actually talking about? Yeah, yes. Um, so another example where, like, I know last year I was you know, almost stalkers being like, got more things for variation theory. Oh, um, yeah, no, <laughs> but it's like, um, because in my ACD role, I was curriculum planning for year 10. And the way that I'd sequenced, there was just stuff that I was like, couldn't find that I wanted. So I just made it. And like mm. the way that I started introducing gradient was very slow and steady and had nothing to do with graphs for ages. Right, okay. Um, and it's because that idea of slope, and it's like, it's, I, don't, I don't feel like it's enough. Like slope is, it's complicated because it's independent of movement and yeah. direction, but it is movement and direction. Yes. So let's unpick it and let's not unpick it in a, sort of um, linguistic sense. But, yeah, to, if anything, I feel like it's more of a... It's taking that idea of examples and non-examples and running that till the wheels come off. Yes, yes. And when you... Because, I, again, I, I'm biased in this, Dan. Like, I think if, if we're going to go deep into something, and particularly if we want kids to think hard about when something is something and when it breaks, when it isn't, and we do examples and non-examples, I think these days for me, it makes perfect sense to do that with careful use of variation. Because if you're changing everything, kids don't know what's made it break. Whereas mm. if you're just changing one thing, they, they focus their attention on that. Well, this is a real leading question, but do you agree that you are, like print, using careful variation there just makes sense in the kind of work you're doing because it does focus kids' attention on what matters and what doesn't. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's that thing of, so like that bearings task, every angle that's on that is 52 degrees or it's yeah. 128. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the 180 take away the 52. Um, and it's, I think it's that thing of, and I've gone back and forth on this loads, of do I want kids to do three absolutely beasting questions that are nowhere near each other mm. or mm. do I want them to do 15 questions that nudge about a bit yes I like that yes and it and I don't know but then also it's that thing of um a couple of, back when we had assemblies um we had like you got a maths assembly and it was like oh, wow. whole um whole tiers so I'd got all the foundation in. And actually, what I decided to do was a worked example. I'm going to have to think of it up on my head now. But you know, like the SSDD problems? Yep. I did the opposite. So I did SDSD. No? <laughs> Same. Let me give you an example. But just that <laughs> thing of like straight line graphs, 
is also sequences, is also yes. forming and solving an equation. Yes. Is also yes. somewhat else. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, just like the bones are the same, kids, you're fine. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And really going, language is difficult here. Um, yeah, so, I mean, again, fractions of amounts. Three-sevenths of something is 21. Three-sevenths of 21, not the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, I don't know how, without variation, you can draw attention to the nuances. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, be, well, any more examples of overlearning before I ask you one more question on overlearning, Dan? Um, but do... Yeah, so it's, I think a lot of it as well is something I've never really looked at teaching, but like, you know, when you look at, I've got a, such a bugbear around order of operations anyway, because <laughs> yeah. it's, I just hate it. And yeah, it's, yeah. that whole idea of grouping is really difficult for kids to get their head around. So yeah. um, the couple of questions that I sent through to you was like, again, it was in that same lesson with those eights looking at integers and fractions and mixed numbers and stuff. So what I'd given them was three and seven ninths multiplied by five. Three and seven ninths multiplied by five, yep. Plus four times three and seven ninths. It's four times three and seven ninths, yep. So, well, I can group it into three and seven ninths times nine. Yep. Uh, and then, hang on, I can ungroup that again as three times nine and seven ninths times nine. Ah, nice. Yes. Yeah. And it's that thing with mixed numbers of like, you just, kids will always be like, oh, if there's no symbol there, it's a times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get a mixed number and it's add. Yes, yes. And like, I'm dead sorry. You yeah. Just deal with it though. <laughs> it, you know, it's, that's hard for kids to get their head around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other one I gave them that was, like six and eight fifteenths times negative four. Yep. Plus six and eight fifteenths times 19. Times 19. Yep. So, like bringing that negatives in there, so you get six and eight fifteenths times fifteenths. Yep. And just that idea of like. Nice. Group, then ungroup. Do yeah, what you want. Yeah. Like, and I think partly now I'm back teaching year 11 and we're doing a lot of algebra stuff. It's like, even we were doing some Pythagoras and it's that thing of like, what is square root of the answer for? You're only going to square it again in a minute. Mm, mm. Um, you know, just pff, make life easy for yourself. <laughs> this is brilliant, this. Um, as I say, for listeners, I'll, I'll put examples of all these that Dan's kindly sent through so you can you can have a look and visualise what we're talking about here. And I'll have also, Dan, put a warning in the intro that people need a pen and paper for this one. It's not one to do whilst you're driving to work this episode. Yeah. I don't think people will never get there. My, my final question on overlearning is, and I think I know the answer to this. Does this, the way you're doing this, Dan, are you making up the majority of your questions or do you have any sources where this is done to the level that you want it to, to, to be done. I'm quite evangelical about the Xing Li textbooks. Okay, yes. And I've heard a couple of... I've, I've not got these. I've, I've, I've heard a couple of people recommending them. Just just spell that out to, to me and the listeners, Dan, so we'll uh, find S-H-I-N. Say here. Yep. G-L. Yep. Double E. Double E. Xing Li. Got it. Um, yeah, there's sort of four in the series. I've only got one, two, and three. But they are... They're lovely. 
They're just absolutely lovely. So like there's a load of stuff in the first one around prime factorization that does a lot of reasoning of like um what is the lowest value that you could multiply to make this a square number. Oh, I like and stuff yeah, I like, like that. that. Nice. There was one of those where it would have been root two, because um, I mixed it up with certs, and one of my 11s went, well, it'd be one over root two, wouldn't it? It's like, oh, you clever sod. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I should have said integer. Oh, root two's not an integer. <laughs> like, it just, oh, they're just lovely. So yeah, they're mm. really good. Um, and to be honest, it's that thing of having the, um, you know, thinking about, Oh, I can't remember what CPD it was. So apologies to anyone um, if it's yours. But it was like, <laughs> it was some A-level CPD that was like, change one thing so that. And just doing oh, right, that yes. so much. Yeah. yeah. And actually bringing that down into Nerd Group Year 7. Yes. And like, again, with the median example, right, here's your list three, you've got the median. Change one of them numbers, but the median staying the same. Yeah, yeah. And then... And- Sorry, Dad. No, go on. I was just, I was just rambling. Well, no, I was just, just thinking here. Um, are you in your department? I'm trying to, just trying to picture your department here. Would you be a bit of a maverick with this kind of stuff? Or is, is this happening in, in all lessons? I don't know, really. Partly because I didn't get into any lessons last year when I was in yeah. post. Because um, we sort of shifted away. And this year, I'm sort of... Just keeping myself to myself and cracking on. Um, And it's... I'm pretty, like, vocal if we're chatting about open department. Like, there's always a call to, like, hey, look at this dead good question. Um, And it is, there's, you know, a lot of development that we're doing around the way that we teach things. But it's that thing of, like, this is... I find that this stuff is really difficult to codify. Mm. So I, even though I wrote booklets with tasks in that explicitly progressed in this way, I gave them to our year 10 teachers and was like, what do you think? They're like, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you've lost your mind. Yeah. What are you on about? <laughs> and like, you have to talk through it with them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's so um, the ECT I'm mentoring this year, uh, we were talking about some standard form stuff. And it's, I have to admit, it is now, now that I've got quite a few, because having the blog is really useful because I can put things on there and forget about it. And then uh, she was on about standard form. And I says, oh, I think I've got something on that from my own website. So it was like converting from standard (laughs) form to nearly standard form. And instead of talking through it, I went, just do, do the questions. And it was ones where you'd got like three, 37.2 divided by 10 cubed. Right, okay. And it's like, well, we do standard form after indices. That makes sense to do it then. Yes, yes. She's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, do the questions. And you'll see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then it's like, who do you think you are? Setting own work. (laughs) So, do you know, like, it's, yeah, it is a bit of a balance. But also, it's that thing of we've got open door policy at our school. Folk are in and out of lessons all the time. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's not officially an approach that we're taking. Yeah. But I won't show up about it. So it's you know, it's happening. That's great. Fantastic. Right. Well, um, 
couple of things. First to say it started raining here in, in Lancashire. So if listeners are getting a bit of uh, lovely soothing sounds of rain patter, uh, that's what that is. But now I want to move on to the second thing, Dan, if that's okay. Um, and we can circle back to overlearning as and when we need during this, because they're certainly related. And that is conceptual leaps. Now, again, when you sent this through on email, I was thinking, what, what's going on here? Uh, what's this going to be about? So again, just to start things off, what do you mean by conceptual leaps, Dan? So I think it's that thing of almost like with the overlearning, you know, that sort of concrete pictorial abstract. And like the impression I've always got is that when people talk about that, concrete and pictorial are like make total sense. And the leap mm. comes when you go to abstract. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. But I don't think that's true. I, I think the big concept leap happens everywhere. And like different things, it's at different times. So, you know, like, so for example, taking vectors, like just displaying the position vector three, two in a column with an arrow. Yep. Next to the coordinate three, two. Yep. Right, let's talk about that for about half hour. <laughs> it's, there's a lot going on in that. Yeah. And that, you know, sort of having... That sort of, um, if I say that sort of one more time, <laughs> having a coordinate grid with loads of arrows with the same vector on. Yeah, like, hang on, yeah. how are they the same? Is yeah. every position vector going to land on that coordinate pair? Yes, yes. Can I add coordinate pairs? Well, no, not really. It doesn't make any sense. I can add vectors, though. Why is that? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because it's a movement and a direction not anchored in a point, but then that is, and it's... So I was thinking about this, and it's that thing of you can fall into a trap of, in my head, the solution to a lot of these conceptual leaps is fill year seven with A-level maths. <laughs> so I'd got it in my head that, like, because kids struggle with rounding, well, let's introduce ceiling and floor functions. No, Dan, sure. <laughs> Step away from the children. You don't need it. But then, like, I wonder, again... Negative numbers with our sevens. We've only done it in terms of place value. No operations. Just is a negative number. Inequalities with other numbers. Yeah, that's your lot. And actually, using the language of magnitude and direction, at year seven, on negative numbers helps because they feel like big scary words. But mm. like, no, the reason why you think negative seven is bigger than negative six, bigger magnitude. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah. But that's not what a negative is. Oh, yeah, you're mm. right. So, like, they get it a bit better. And it's, you know, you don't need modulus functions and absolute values necessarily. But then that would be quite nice to drop in. Like, when we've been teaching mixed attainment, yeah, why not? Like, it's something else to get their heads around. And yeah. that idea of, like, subtracting the absolute value of negative seven versus adding positive like you could go all sorts with it yes but the conceptual leap there is the split between in both those cases really a movement and an amount and it's so like we would do so let me give you another example from inertia group for year seven partly because i was bubbled on my own with them so nobody could stop me I thought converting, I hate converting units with a passion. Because it's physical, yet dead hard. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. So I did some, I mean, posh voice, I did some dimensional analysis with them. Nice. I didn't know. I'd like, well, which of these make any sense? Oh, you can't add areas and lengths. Right, okay. And like, no, 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 I can. It's just not very useful. I just, I can add it, but I can't, I've got to leave it with an add-in. Yes. And in my head, yes. I'm going, oh, you'll be fine when we get to like terms with X's and X yeah. squared. Then. Yes. And like, talking about adding lengths and doing loads of like, almost particularly what I found as well with nerd groups is giving them a load of questions, half of which they can't do because they haven't got the maths for. Right. And then saying, there's only 15 on here that's possible for you to do with what we've looked at. Find them. And like smashing that expectation that I've got to do everything. All right, okay. Because it's that thing of, like I've got a higher group this year and I know full well when they sit their first full paper, they're going to brick it. Because, <laughs> you know, like if they get 50% or whatever it is, seven, you're dead clever, yeah. well done. You've, yeah, you've really yeah, done yeah. well in maths. Yeah. By getting half wrong. And it's that thing of like just sort of getting them out of the habit of like, I've got to do everything. No, crack when, when you when you say there's questions on there that they can't do, what 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 are we talking there? there, there? Not we're not talking like impossible questions, are we? Just like the the unsolvable questions, are they? It's just questions that are, are too difficult. Well, kind of. Sometimes it is like ones they can't do, and are like a bit stupid. <laughs> so like it's ridiculously obvious. And it's that thing of like, what's your goal? Is the goal to think about method selection mathematically? Not necessarily. The goal might be to get them to be okay with skipping a question. Right. And it's almost okay. like a social goal rather than a mathematical one. And like, whereas other times, so I had this with, again, that year eight class, they just yep. weren't getting, they were faffing with those simple fraction to decimal conversions. Right. And it's like, no, fifths, halves, tenths, eights, I need you to have at your fingertips. Right, okay. So I gave them a load of order of operations questions with those in. Right, and we did no okay. operations with fractions. And I looked at those questions and was like, I do them as fractions. <laughs> but they're not going to. And right. then I gave them the same ones, went, well, which ones can't you do? And they couldn't do the ones that dealt with thirds or sevenths yet. Right, okay. And just that idea of going, no, no, we are never going to be finished. Like, you know that thing of, like, I've had this before, not in my current school, but, like, you share classes, and then they go, oh, what did you do last lesson? Oh, we did fractions. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> like, whereas then with year 11, I was like, we're doing difference of two squares, but only with one variable in each part of yeah. the one. And then we're moving on to this. And, like... Yes. Yeah, it's that thing of like, you can get so granular that it becomes meaningless. Mm. But also, I think letting kids into that and go, no, this is the boundary of what we're looking at. So that's the sort of conceptual leap of it. And um, this is fascinating. This again, I've got a couple of questions just generally on this, but any more examples of conceptual leaps uh, for us now? So, yeah, another massive one was like square numbers and cube numbers. Okay. So it's. And what I've decided is the conceptual leap is with ones. 
And it's the same as going from lengths to area and area to volume. So if you go from a length, so a straight line, to an area yep. with a width of one, yep. the numerically it's the same. Yes. Because that width's one, but it's a, a totally different thing. Yep. And that thing of going, so if you've got an array of three by three cubes. Yes. To make like sort of nine cubes in a square. I'm going that's a square number, but it's made up of cubes. Yeah, yes. Like, that, it's not confusing to, like, us, but if you're 11 and you've just, like, been throwing a javelin for half hour, then you've come in and done some Spanish, that's, what are you on about? Yeah. And then it's like, how do you explain that? No, it's a square number, but it's cubes. Right, give me a minute. Is it just the flat edge? Well, no. It's the unit is cubes. But it's a square amount of those cubes. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes these conceptual leaps, my solution is to brush it under the carpet and <laughs> pretend it doesn't exist. Because yeah. you're just going to... like. I think that's where I am with that coefficient example earlier. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, that's lovely. But talk about it later. Um, yes. But, yeah, that's really... That's really difficult. Any any other conceptual leaps before I ask you my question? Um, da, da, da. I'm like shuffling through my papers. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what the other one is. And again, cool. this is only since I've started planning some Y because MX plus C stuff. Yeah. The negative in that means totally different things. Go on, tell me So more. like, it, I've always had like Y because MX plus C. Oh, well, it's any line, any line in all of existence. Isn't that good? Yes. The slope or the position. Yep. If you've got a negative C, that's a translation of that graph. Yes. If you've got a negative M, it's a flip of it. Yes. Yes. So what's happening? The negative, yeah. you could have Y equals negative 2X minus 2. The negative 2s, yes, they mean different things. One means a slope and one means a position. One means a position moved down of two. One means a flip. Yeah, yes. And if you've got negative y equals something, well. <laughs> and then it's like, well, do I explain? If, to explain that fully, you've almost got to start doing transformation of graphs mm. and inside and outside the function and all sorts. And it's, no, that's massive. Like, I just need you to plot the graph. Yes. My head's hurting here, Dan. Yeah, and I, yeah. I can see how the... Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about at the start, how your decision is either... Yeah, you go deep into these at the aim of getting deep understanding but risk confusion, or you just leave out these examples, or as you say, you, you can, it's not teaching to the test, but you, you teach up to the level that they need for GCSE and then hope you can delve deeper and ever. It's, it's very, very tricky. It's very, very tricky. And um, my, my my question was a, a, quite a practical one here, and it relates to what we were talking about before about the time it takes to do this. What what, what scheme of work do you follow at your school, if you don't mind me asking you? Is it a bespoke one or is it one of the, uh, one of the biggies? Uh, we follow a bespoke one. So at Key Stage 3, that's planned by our Key Stage 3 coordinator, um, yep. sort of from scratch. Uh, and then at Key Stage 4, oh, I should know this. So if I've said a listening, I promise I will know it by the time you come in. <laughs> um, basically, Key Stage 4 is 
because we'd had really patchy provision at our place over the years, yeah. it, it, what I'd planned was a, not a recovery curriculum, but basically it was Pearson's curriculum document that I chopped and changed and resequenced to what I think would make sense. Because we don't use their textbook. So, yeah. you know, it's using the booklets. Um, so, yeah, that's what we were using for this stuff. But it is that God. thing of like, so actually, and it is in the, I mean, oh, I'm loath to start even mentioning the word because it, it's another three hour chat, isn't it then? <laughs> Sequencing. Yeah. But, but like, when I put together <laughs> transformations, that was about six weeks. Yes. Because we did translations, but we did all the vectors. Yes. So higher did all of those gross vectors, um, which came right after, well, we did angles first, then we did bearings, because that's a rotation, essentially. Yeah. So we did that in rotations. And then, you know, enlargement's nowhere near it. It's, yeah, it sequenced it in a way that seemed to make conceptual sense rather than prior knowledge sense got it got it well we're going to we are going to if it's all right with you we'll just touch upon sequencing in a minute but we'll do it in a very kind of focused way but the reason i ask you about your scheme of work it goes back to what we're talking about about time if we've got teachers in your department who perhaps aren't going into the depth that you're you're going into and perhaps are getting through things quicker do you have like assessments that you have to like you've got an end of half term assessment and perhaps you haven't covered all the content because you've taken a bit more time and stuff. Is, is that, is that often a, a thing that occurs? And the reason I ask this is Joe Morgan and I were talking about this a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about depth, how this is often the problem. Teachers want to go deeper, but are fixed in by a scheme of work that's aiming towards like a set assessment. And if they don't get the material covered, their kids, you know, do, do a bit worse on material that they haven't seen. Is, is that an issue? Yeah, do you know, I was listening to that episode while I was at the gym and I actually gasped audibly. You know, when Joe had done the maths of like how much time there actually yeah. is and how much yes. there sort of should be. Yeah. And it was literally like, well, why bother then? We can't do it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really disheartening, isn't it? it but is, like, it is. in terms of assessment wise, we do have sort of set assessments, but it is that thing of where's everybody up to? If some people are further behind, why? If people are further ahead than everybody else, why? What's going on? Because it's very much in development still. Ah, right, okay. So like our entire first half term of year seven is place value. And the key social coordinator was like, look, you taught it to nine classes last year. What needs to come out to make it smaller? Right, okay. To which I said, I've got about 50 things I'd like to put in. Yeah, like, yeah. Could we <laughs> yeah, do some yeah. of this, some of that bit of multi yeah, stuff? Yeah. But it's yeah. like it's constantly <laughs> under review. Yes. And it is then we look through the assessments and go, right, so kids have all done pretty poor on this. Does it need resequencing? Mm. Does it need more time given to it? Like what's actually going on? Um so yeah, it's like a very live process. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Well, if it's all right with you, Dan, I wouldn't mind just touching upon sequencing. Mm. Now, as you've said, we, we could literally do an entire series of, of shows on, on sequencing. Um, I'm obsessed with this at the moment because of uh, a few pieces of work I'm, I'm working on. 
so instead of just asking you something vague, like, you know, how do you sequence things? I'm interested that you, you mentioned in our correspondence about trigonometry. So I wonder if we take that as kind of a concrete uh, example here. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if this is a bad question or not, but how would you sequence a unit on trigonometry? So what I was thinking is that like trig, yes, it's in key stage three. Yes, it's in key stage four and A level. I have not thought of a way that I like yet. Mm. And I've not seen a way that I like. And actually, it's that thing of the conceptual leap bit. Why is it so hard? And it's, oh, it's just similarity. It's just the ratio. Like, everyone that says that, I don't see your kids smashing it. <laughs> like, there's got to be something else going on. So, this is partly selfish. Sorry, listeners. I'm irrelevant now but I was like I've got Craig on phone for a couple of hours so I'm just gonna <laughs> set some ideas out so what I've come to is that yes similarity but actually I think the way that I'd start it is only using triangles in that first quadrant and this is year nine right yeah that's what we're thinking yeah. yeah so only using triangles in that first quadrant but not going unit circle and keeping that hypotenuse one okay keeping the base one Okay. So okay. if I start off with an isosceles right angle triangle. Um, yes. Right. I know that that angle in the left is 45 degrees. Okay. Yep. Right. Double the height to two. Has that angle got bigger or smaller? All right. Okay. Yep. Right. Triple it. Bigger or smaller? All right. Times it by 200. Bigger or smaller? Nice, yeah, nice. Right, what do you reckon, where's the limit of that then? Because it's not going to get to 180, but in theory it's going to go up to that all the time. Mm. What's that going up by? You know, sort of get GeoGebra up and go, well, if I double this, because I know that if I have a similar triangle, the scale factor of, linear scale factor of the sides is going to be the same. But yes. if I double that height, I'm not doubling that angle. Yes, yes. So how is that changing? Oh, I don't really know. All right, never mind. Let's look at someone else then. What about if instead, I still start with me 1, 1 and me 45. Uh, what about if I go double that base instead, so I go 2 out and 1 up? Okay, yep. Oh, that's getting smaller. Yep. Um, I'm going 3 out and 1 up. Oh, it's getting smaller still. Hang on, have yeah. I not already done this? I could oh, literally just knock be. over my other ones. I could move them. Yes. Because they'll be congruent to the ones above. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, nice. And go, oh, hang on a minute. So that angle's got to be 90 take away the other one. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And almost, so what else is changing in that then? So I'm changing the height and I'm changing the angle. That hypotenuse is changing as well. Mm. So... If I know that we're going to have like, you know, I could even go through and calculate all those hypotenuses. So there's something between those three things, the height, the hypotenuse and the angle, that they're all changing at, the, at a rate, but it's not behaving in like a direct or inverse proportional yes. way. Yes. And then I think I'd go to my unit circle. Okay. Because that way... If I've got my unit circle just in that first quadrant, I can keep that hypotenuse the same rather than the base yeah. and yeah. I can change the angle instead. 
So yes. instead, okay, yes. I'm looking at those two sides and look at how they change. Yes. And is this all, this is kids' first experience of this, and is this all done with technology or is there a few kind of static images that you, you're hand drawing? What's it look like? So I think it'd be, I'd start off with a few sort of calculations and then go, I'm not doing this forever. Let's get Jojo yeah. up and look at yeah, okay. yes, the trend yes. of it. Yeah, yeah. But I would keep it all in that direction. Mm. Because I think it's just one yeah. extra thing. And you're already looking at the relationship between sides. And it's that thing as well. It's like, oh, it's just similarity. It's not, though, is it really? It's a stretch. Mm. Rather than an enlargement. Mm. And where does it go from there, Dan? So I'm really, I'm liking, I'm really liking this. I've, again, like many teachers listening, I'm, I, I've tried, I've tried it, <laughs> tried it all with Trig. I mean, if it, it was up to me, Trig wouldn't be in year nine. But that, that's another, like that's that's an, an, another conversation. If we have to, if we have to introduce it legally at, at key stage three, I've, I've tried it all and. I know unit circle feels to me the more most mathematically sound, but the kids have always struggled. I've always struggled with it. Um, and it's probably the way I, I've done it. I like this as a kind of bridge to the unit circle. But could you just talk us through what, what do you do with, with the unit circle and where does it go after that? Well, the other thing as well is that even then, I'm not even sure I'd use the unit circle just yet. Okay. I've almost even have go, I'll tell you what, this angle on this one, three triangle business when we yeah. base in the eye well let's what should we call that angle we'll call it a one three angle we'll get rid of degrees a minute call it a one three angle okay here's a load of triangles which ones have also got a one three angle nice and it'll be ones that have got a height of six and a base of two ah that's good yeah that's good it'll be the top angle of one that's got a base of 12 and yeah, a height of four that's really good that's nice and it's, but it's that thing again of taking that idea with like medians for my nurture group and going, what does that look like for kids doing trig? Yes. So it's, and it's also that thing of when I start thinking of the sequencing in this way, first thought is, oh, that's lovely. Second thought is like, you've got time. <laughs> yeah. Like not just to teach it, but to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like the lovely Don Stewart stuff around the, um, sort of ancient Egyptian maths. Yeah. And they almost like start off with Arctan. Yeah. Because it's bases and heights. Yes, yes. And it's almost like I'd want about three weeks just having to play the triangles <laughs> I know, before I, I mentioned trig. Yeah. Which is that thing in it of like, yeah, put, you could put it in year nine or you could do it properly. Like I remember yeah. learning trig at school in year nine because I was doing the level eight SATS paper. Yes. So it was yes. after school, soccer toa, cover it over, crack on. Fair enough. And it's particularly at that thing of like, to me, I think that's enough trick for year nine. As in what you've described here. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 you yeah. are using that ratio relationship, but yeah, it's not yeah. linear. It's not. It's not proportion the way that we think about it. That's the key, yeah. That's the key, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, we, yeah, with the unit circle, it'd just be loads on that. Uh, we've got a colleague at work who is, um, she's so intelligent. 
she she's a um she's got a PhD in maths. She's taught in Italy for years. Um, she's not taught over in the UK very long. Um, and it's really interesting talking to her because she uses a lot of like Italian textbooks. Ah, okay, and a yes. lot of sequencing is very different. Um, and like she says that she would use the unit circle, but only for certain triangles ah. and use all four quadrants. Wow. And it's... Yeah, I don't know whether I prefer that or whether I'd focus on just that first quadrant yes. and do anything within it. Yes. Yeah, that... Hmm. And can I ask as well, Dan, with, with this trick, when, when do, again, in your dream sequencing, at what stage do kids first hear about sine, cos and tan? Well, when, and how does that come into play? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of them things where I reckon I'd have to try it out. Yeah. Because I think it's that thing of... Part of me thinks... Do I want them to know about functions first? Mm, mm. Or do I not? Yeah. And it's, I don't know. That's <laughs> basically, it's, and it's that thing of do you start off with just one trigonometric function? Yeah, yes. But then it kind of makes sense for kine and cosine to be introduced at the same time because mm. they are the same. Mm. Like, tilt your head, they're the same. It's, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Okay, we'll leave that one. We'll leave that one dangling. We'll leave that one dangling. And was there anything else you wanted to say about about sequencing, Dan? And as I say, we just just touched upon a very specific uh, area of that there. But it's as I say, it's something that I'm thinking a lot about at the moment. So I definitely wanted just to just to speak to you. But was there any other thing on sequencing you wanted to share? Yeah, I think to be honest, it's like I just don't. I don't think there is a right way. Hmm. Everything's got trade offs. Yeah. And actually, that makes it so much easier to think about. Of like, well, where am I going to compromise? Yeah. It's like, you know, the um, that sort of uh, Mark McCourt's like four dimensional image of the maths curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Put that in order then. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Just don't be yeah. so stupid. Like, you just, yeah, yeah. you've got to smush it down and flatten it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So choose where you're going to compromise. Yeah. But again, that's not a great answer in a meeting. Yeah. Like, well, where should this go? Well, I don't know. It depends. Oh, thanks, Dan. It's concrete. That's helpful. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, I've, again, I've, I repeat myself so many times uh, these days on these shows, but I'd say about once every two weeks, I get sent an email from somebody just random saying, what scheme of work do you use or what scheme of work do you recommend and so on. Like I'm of the even though I've done loads of analysis on diagnostic questions about ordering, I'm still of the opinion that the order doesn't matter all that much. Um, there's definitely no single right order. There are orders that lend themselves better for things like interleaving and stuff. But as you say, like you, you can make things work, and it's more important the way the, the depth you go into and the way you introduce things and how you build upon and so on and so forth. Well, would you, would you go that far that the, the order doesn't matter all that much that, that most orders are fine The schemes of work? Do you know what? I reckon it actually comes down to your own personal, like mathematical makeup. So again, this colleague that's got this PhD, we've both been doing the AMSP further maths CPD courses 
And it's really interesting that when we've been looking at that stuff together, we've got completely different brains on it. On it. Oh, wow. So I am very geometrically minded. Um, even then it's like, well, you know, I like my route two and my equations of circles, whereas she is very like loves her algebra. Yeah. And it's, I think if you're predisposed to that, you see the links that yeah, correspond with yeah. that. So you think that's right? Yes. Whereas like, and I think that's why you get so many teachers who are like, stats avoidant. Because yeah. it's just not their sort of unified prism of maths. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, if it's all right with you, then, we might move on to a reflection question, if that's okay. And that is, uh, what's an example of something important you've changed your mind about? I was decided whether am I going to choose violence today or not, and I am. I've decided. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think understanding is a thing. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> I know, I know. I thought, we were, I thought we were winding things down here, but go on. Okay, just go like, on. so... What's that sound of eight million off buttons? Um, so, no, it's... If it is a thing, I don't think I'm interested in it. Because, so, I... Before sort of changing my degree, I was on a music degree, right? And, right. like, I'm learning the viola at the minute, and I've been for about five years. Now, I understand the major scale, and I understand that scale inside and out. I can tell you every note that's in it, no matter where you start. Yeah. yeah. Can I play it? No, because it's a totally different question. I can play it in A flat in one octave. Can't play yeah. it in G major in two. I've got to move up positions. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. And I think it ties into this problem that we've got in education generally of like, so I got a philosophy degree, so it was still Descartes and Leibniz and all that lot, but not their maths, it was their other stuff. Right. And like literally, only thing Descartes could confirm was that he was a thinking thing. Yet you're asking me if I know whether 30 kids have truly understood bearings. Come on. Like, other minds are unknowable, yet I'm, we're supposed to go, oh, well, they did a mini whiteboard check. I'm just, I'm just not interested in that now. So it's like, when I say I've changed my mind, I used to be so focused on, yeah, but have they understood it? Have they understood it? Yeah. Where's the bottom of that pit? Mm. I don't know if I've understood stuff. How could I, how do I know if I understand trig? I, what does that mean? So I reject the premise. I'm like, baby out with bathwater. And I don't, that doesn't mean that I'm like, well, performance is everything. Yeah. But I don't gain anything by thinking about this very narrow range of understanding. And also, I think understanding has got the exact same problem as the word mastery. Of like, what do you mean then? Like, oh, you know, yeah. we teach mastery. We teach understanding. Right? I, d I don't know what that means. I just don't. And I'm just, so I'm bowing out now. <laughs> So when you say, I mean, I think it's a fascinating point. Um, again, something Colin Foster argues something, something. Uh, second time he's come up this show, uh, something fairly similar to that. That again, it's 
it's not a shared vocabulary that, that, that everybody means the same thing with and it's it's hard to measure. So but what, what, as a teacher, what, what do you care about, Dan? Is, and you say performance isn't everything and I, I completely agree with that, but you must have you must be interested in measuring kids knowledge at certain points of, of certain topics or is it is it is it more a language issue is that is that enough to be to be doing I don't know I think it's that thing of like I'm checking they're attending to something mm. and it's that mm. level of I mean I read it years ago and I can't remember it's by now but um the discipline of noticing oh yes yes and that was it took me three times to read it because it's quite dense yeah, yeah, it is. And like, but actually I thought, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, noticing things and attending to things is enough. Mm. Like, I don't, sometimes I feel like this understanding can mean to the level that I understand it. Yeah. But I don't know how much I understand it. Yes. And it's that thing, well, if you don't understand it, why are you a teacher? Yeah, fine. But also, for ages I was like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be a maths teacher then because your maths isn't good enough. But then it's also like, well, okay, but also I can't hear a decent answer from anybody else either. Mm. And I just feel like it's one of those things that's... I have a beer me bonnet about a lot, a lot of the time. And a lot of it is around sort of wasting time in education whether it's pupil time or teacher time. And I feel like there's endless navel gazing of these big picture things. And it's that thing of like, no, just give me a bearings task that's dead good and gets kids thinking. Like, like the same with like metacognition. All right. Enjoy, you know, I and it's... We had a training session once years ago on solo taxonomy. Yeah. And I shut my brain off and was like, I can't take this in. And it's, oh, you're not engaging with your professional development. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, fine. Uh, it's, oh, it's maybe sound well cantankerous, isn't it? But I stand by it. It's, I can't remember whether it was on a podcast, an interview, or just on Twitter. But when Anne Watson was saying, um, you know, somebody said to her, like, do you not regret all the wasted time you've had before you got into this research stuff? She was like, no, because you don't know what you don't know. Mm, yeah, yeah. And like, I'm going to become a better teacher. I think it's partly, oh, here we go, set another fire. <laughs> I don't I don't think we should aim to be a profession. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coming out now. Yeah, no. I can't be. I, let me justify it first. Oh, the, the police at the door. So it's because of profession. We don't treat ourselves like a profession. What I think, what I mean instead, is, you know, is it an art or a science to teaching? Oh, it's both. Uh, well, so the word we're looking for then is craft. Mm. And actually, if you were a cobbler, you'd get on making dead good pairs of shoes. You wouldn't go like. Oh well, my rubberized soul. I've looked at the research and found this. Like, yes, all right, but also just make some shoes. <laughs> That's how you get better at it. And it's, I think, spending a lot of time reading and thinking 
about education and not about maths is not going to have as good impact on my kids. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm not, not setting fire to the <laughs> lot, but I'm a bit like, just, it's a bit of a distraction for me. I want to think about what my kids are thinking about and attending to in my maths classroom. Anything beyond that, have a lovely time, but I'm not playing. That's brilliant, that, Dan. Love that. Fantastic. Right. Well, to, to bring things kind of to to a close, unless you drop any more bombshells, is we're going to go for your big three, if that's all right. So uh, I wonder what three websites, blog posts, books, whatever you want, would you recommend listeners check out? And there'll be links to these as ever in the show notes. I've decided to go for three stats websites. Oh, wow. That gets, is a curve. Yeah, it yeah. gets a bad rap. And my priority for my professional development at the minute is to think about stats more. Interesting. Okay, good. good. Um, this will be good. And they're all classics, but they're all ones that I forget and then hear about again. Yep. Spurious correlations. Nice. Like, kids love it. They absolutely love it. And it, you get to the point where it's, well, we'll have a look at it again if you get your stuff done on time. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, again, the Gapminder um, <laughs> stuff, oh, a classic. Um, and again, just even having like a copy of Factfulness in the school library, mm. just it's just so accessible for kids. Um, and then interactive live stats as well. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it's dead good. So it's like uh, the internet in a second. And oh, it's like wow, a visual okay. representation of like the number of like YouTube views in a second. Ah, nice. Yes, I think I've seen similar ones. Okay, that's that's good. And you that's just scroll really down and sort of, yeah, just saying to kids like, Alan, do you reckon it'll take me to scroll down here? How many clicks? Nice. And again, it's that thing of like, oh, it's stats, but it's really proportional reasoning. Yes. So, but yeah, it's just to have that thing of, you know, when people talk about having a hook into a lesson, mm. I do think sometimes we shoehorn a world hook into maths rather than a maths hook. Yes. You know, that thing of like, it's um, it's why I can't really get on with mechanics because it's like, imagine there's a pulley, pull it, just show me the maths. So it, whereas like with stats, there is real world entry points. Um, and that's a really good one, I think, just to get kids thinking Fantastic. about scale and proportion. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Well done. I've got a funny feeling that this won't be the last time you're on this show here, because as I say, I was really struggling to think of how to condense things to talk about. We've done three areas there, but I think there's a lot more we can talk about. So I think we'll leave it there for this episode, but with a little teaser that that if it's all right with you, we might might make a make a, another date again at some point in, in the future for this. But this has been a pleasure to speak to you. You are one of my favorite bloggers. I absolutely, I genuinely get excited when I get a notification to say a new post is has gone up and i've been very grateful for the material you've sent sent through on variation theory as well because it's um some of the highest quality stuff that we've, we've got on there so for all of that and for your time today uh, dan draper thank you so much real thanks for having me on and again just uh while you're on craig just a massive thank you for your books and everything that you're doing for maths education it's the scope of stuff that's available is fantastic Thank you very much. Very kind. If, if all of the guests take note, if you could all end by saying something nice like that, that'd be fantastic <laughs> as well. <laughs> Cheers, mate.
So there we have it. There was my interview with maths teacher, blogger and sci-fi author as well, Dan Draper. What a great guy Dan is. Just brilliant to talk to and super, super insightful, super thoughtful, super reflective. Dream guest, absolute dream guest. So, uh, well, we've, we've only got one choice with where to begin this takeaway section, right? And that is what I teased at the start. And that is the email I received from Dan about what he was talking about, about understanding. Now, just to kind of peer behind the curtain of the podcast, this happens loads, more, more than you'd think from some real high profile guests. Uh, often, as soon as the conversation's finished, I'll get a panicked either WhatsApp or email saying, oh God, I've said this, uh, is it all right? Is it gonna lead to trouble? And it never, it never has. I mean, we, we've had a few controversial episodes, as you know, of the podcast in the past. But um, listeners, I, I think it's fair to say, are just really pleased and, and thankful that, that people are willing to give up their time to speak to me for this length and share their thoughts and so on. It never, never kicks off. But anyway, um, I promised Dan that I'd just clarify things here. So I, I think the best thing I can do is just read the email in full because it's a good one, right? So Dan says, as I brick it post-recording, can I just make a clarification for the postscript section of the podcast? Okay, so here we go. I think I'm, in essence, what I mean by rejecting the term understanding is that I've yet to find a satisfactory description of it for any individual area of mathematics that isn't more complex procedural fluency reasoning or problem solving in context with another area of maths. And then Dan adds, is this me trying to minimise shouty DMs over half term? Absolutely. <laughs> so there you go. And listen, if we just start with understanding, I think it's a really valid point that Dan made. And as I alluded to in the, in the podcast, it's a similar thing that uh, Colin, Fo similar point that Colin Foster made. And if you want to go back to the more most recent interview with Colin Foster, which was part of the Research in Action series, we, we begin fairly early on in the conversation reflecting on Colin's keynote that he gave um, at the, I think it was the MA conference, where he spoke about what does it mean to understand Pythagoras' theorem? And it's a similar thing to what, what Dan's saying. And it also goes on to something I want to just reflect on at the end of this takeaway about the trade-off between depth and confusion. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested, and I'm sure Dan will be interested, although please don't clog up his DMs, whether you agree with what he's saying about understanding, whether you can relate to it, because I certainly can. Anyway, that's cleared that one up, hopefully. So just two quick takeaways from me um, on this episode. The first is more a recommendation than anything, and that is, if you haven't already, please check out Dan's blog. There's a link to it in the show notes. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, there are two types of posts that Dan tends to do. The first are kind of thoughts and reflections, where he <laughs> obviously reflects on the kind of things that he's he's tried in the classroom. And what's nice about that is, um, it's not always, I tried this and it was absolutely brilliant. And often the most useful posts there or whenever, uh, you know, or just anything in life generally where somebody thinks about something, tries it, and then it doesn't quite work out and what do they learn from the experience. So there's a really good post that he's uh, done recently at the time of recording called Valid, Useful and Robust that I'd, I'd recommend you check out. So that's the kind of thoughts and reflections. But then what he also does is he posts lots of resources and these tend to be sequences of questions or examples. And there's a really good one that he's posted recently called Reasoning with Angles in Parallel Lines. And I'm a bit biased here, but um, he makes really good use of, of kind of my take on variation, what I try to do on my variation theory website. And as we talked about in the podcast, um, I think that that notion of holding lots of things constant and just tweaking one key thing from example to example 
really, really helps with Dan's notion of overlearning and just kind of going into depth and, and students noticing things. And this reasoning with angles in parallel lines post is an absolutely brilliant example of this. It's always terrible trying to describe something in visually in audio, but, but what's really nice about this, um, this sequence of questions is they all contain one pair of parallel lines. They all contain an isosceles triangle, which is kind of built off the sides of these parallel lines. They all have an angle X defined, and they all have one other marked angle, which is 50 degrees. And, and just little things tweak, like the position of the angle, the position of the dash marks on the isosceles triangles, and so on. And students have to think super, super, super hard to, to understand and, and calculate the value of X. And it's, again, it's this, it's this overlearning, it's this thinking, in greater depth than I, I certainly would have done for many, many years in my teaching. And Dan's just dropping these resources left, right and centre on his blog. So please, please check that out. And the final thing I wanted to say is something we talked about really early on uh, with, with Dan in this conversation. And that is the potential trade-off between depth and, and confusion or depth and simplicity. <laughs> I think Dan's coefficient example was a really, really good one here. And it also links into what Dan was saying about um, his view on understanding. I mean, just in that, you know, one minute, two minutes where we're talking about coefficients, I'm not sure I understand coefficients anymore. I really like that three over seven P example. Um, and it's where do you draw the line with students? And certainly early on in my career, I've been guilty of not going far enough, just and I speak about this loads, about how I used to, and just definitions of concepts. I used to just give the definition and maybe a few examples, ill-thought-through examples of where it worked. And I've moved my thinking now onto examples and non-examples to explain concepts. And I think better still, uh, carefully varied examples and non-examples so students can, can focus in and see what it is that makes a concept break and, and work again and so on and so forth. But I think... It's experience knowing where to draw the line, how deep to go, how weird to, to give these examples, how close to the boundary you want to go with, with these. Um, it also helps to have confidence in your own subject knowledge. And also I think, and this is, this is what really struck me about my conversation with Dan, his honesty that he clearly has with his students. And his directness as well to either simply say, I don't know, or, and I think this is, this, this for me was the key. This was the absolute key. When you get yourself into a bit of a bind with an example, and perhaps a student suggests one, and you think, uh-oh, if I try and explain this, this is just going to cause more confusion. To have that confidence to say to the kids, look, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Trust me. We don't need to know this just yet. Um, if I think of a good way to explain this, I'm going to come back to this, or once we finish this, we'll focus in on this. But for now, trust me, it's not worth worrying about. Let's move on. And I think I, for many years, I haven't had that confidence to do that. And the problem is, you get then going down a rabbit hole trying to explain something that's really, really confusing to students. It's far more than they would ever need to know for, you know, whatever exam they're studying for and so on. And it just does more harm than good. So I really like that, having just that courage, I guess, is the word and conviction to say to the kids, look, trust me on this one. Don't worry about it. You know, I like to go deep into stuff. We'll, we'll come back to it at some point. But for now, let's just crack on with something else.
Anyway, that was all I wanted to say. One of my favourite conversations, this. I'm, I really enjoyed this. I'm really enjoying this current season of the podcast. I, I love talking to Paul Rowlandson last episode and Dan. And I've got some potential crackers uh, coming up um, as well over the course of this year. So I hope you enjoy keeping on listening to these. Uh, thanks once again to Dan Draper for being a brilliant guest. To podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music you've heard throughout the show. Um, and for you, my lovely loyal listeners, for tuning in. Um, that's all I wanted to say. You take care of yourself. Bye for now.